Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Another day, another chance. Riding the Wave. I'm your host, Mark Healy, the editor-in-chief of the Wave newspaper, Rockaway's newspaper, since 1893. We've had a great uh, great interview uh, for you. Uh, certainly, uh, it's something that uh, we're going to be talking about a lot here on this podcast and also in our newspaper, and that's the race for NYC Public Advocate. And we're going to be uh, doing a series of interviews uh, with candidates uh, that are running for this position including Councilman Eric Ulrich. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have some other folk, uh, folks uh, slated uh, for, the, you know, for the interview. Uh, we wanted to start today, earlier today, uh, we wanted to start with former City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito. And as you know, she's not new to politics. Uh, she's certainly somebody that's been around. She's proven that she won't be a rubber stamp for Mayor Bill de Blasio. But uh, she's had some controversial uh, positions as well. Is she the right choice for Rockaway? Well, she made her case earlier today. I'd like to welcome Melissa Mark Viverito to Riding the Wave. Welcome to Rockaway. Thank you for the invitation. Um, look, you've been here before. Yeah. Uh, probably, I guess, my main when your um, media team called me and asked me if you would be interested in coming on. I, I said that, well, she's been to Rockaway, so she knows... Uh, how we are and, and how we think, and, and I think it's very important for anyone who's running for a public advocate to understand that Rockaway is a big, important voting block, and it's almost like I tell these young journalists when they come to work here, uh, this, is, this whole peninsula is a microcosm of the city right. because it's so diverse. Right. Would you agree with that? Yes. I think, I mean, look, uh, yes. And I think when I was speaker... And similar to now as a candidate for public advocate, you know, my interest is to ensure that every corner of New York City feels that government is working on their behalf. And, you know, there are sectors of this city that feel uh, that government has not been responsive, is not present, uh, lack of access to basic services, 
transportation, healthcare. You know, those are things that I was concerned about. So that as speaker, working in collaboration with my colleagues that represented these areas, it was to ensure that our laws and our initiatives and our funding uh, would really follow and, and really be addressed to the communities, particularly those that have, um, that have more unique needs. So I visited, I, I did a lot of roundtable conversations of leadership in the different communities that I visited here was one of them as well and learning about this particular concern. So now as public advocate and as a candidate public advocate, one of the prime responsibilities is to be a tribune to the people, right, to amplify the voice and concerns of communities and of, of uh, neighborhoods and making sure that government agencies are being responsive and, being, and providing the services that they uh, indicate that they're there to provide. So it really is about, as the name says, about advocating and, and utilizing the power that the position has to uh, articulate the concerns of the of diverse constituencies and neighborhoods of the city. It's great that you say that because mm -hmm. that is a, a major problem here in Rockaway. A lot of people feel, even with two effective councilmen, uh, with uh, Eric Ulrich, who supported your uh, campaign for speaker, and Donovan Richards, who you know very well, who, who you've been down here with and, and visited downtown, yeah. uh, especially with the, the, the revitalization project. Even with two effective city council members, um, there is a disconnect, and it seems as if the disconnect comes from the mayor's office. You know, not that any mayor, not that any mayor is popular. I think every single mayor that's ever served ever gets booed in Rockaway. Um, <laughs> but I always get the impression that, um, whereas Mayor Bloomberg um, wasn't, didn't care whether he got booed or not. Uh, and this mayor, who you've already proven that you're not going to be a rubber stamp for, I, I will definitely give you that credit. Thank you. Uh, no, no matter what we other otherwise disagree on, uh, that I can, you know, when people say to me, well, you know, isn't she aligned with the Blasio? Now, you might be aligned with the Blasio on some certain issues, but you've, you've proven that you're not going to be a rubber stamp. And if you're not going to be a rubber stamp as city council speaker, then you're certainly not going to do it as public advocate. Okay, so my question is, it's kind of general, but I think that it's always the first question that somebody from Rockaway will ask you. Why should Rockaway vote for you? I, because I'm the most effective and I, prove, I have a proven track record of success. You know, my whole approach in leadership in general is about inclusivity. Uh, being a Latina, being someone that was raised in Puerto Rico, someone who has been discriminated against, someone that lives in a community that has been historically disenfranchised. I'm very acutely aware uh, of the fact that uh, communities sometimes, uh, you know, of how communities could feel alienated from the government that is supposed to represent them. And so my interest, and that was my 12 years as a council member, my four years as speaker, was to figure out how can we effectively ensure, we're not gonna be perfect, right? And, and we're not gonna be able to please everybody, but at least the effort of being inclusive, of reaching out, of li listening, and trying to address through legislation, through policies, et cetera, through ca uh, capital infrastructure investments uh, in these neighborhoods, at least there's a show, right, that there is an understanding and that there is an interest in getting things done. And I think I've proven that. And I know that, you know, Donovan toured me, his district, 
and uh, I, my district was two boroughs. I represented a po portion of the South Bronx. I represented a portion of, the, of East Harlem. And so the idea of constituencies having direct access to the representatives is key. For he, so him, his district, so there was an aspect of his district that was very much removed. He felt he needed extra resources in order to open up a second office so that his constituents didn't have to travel you know, extensively far so that he could have more direct contact with the representative, whether it was some of the sewer infrastructure and the needs that these communities out here uh, and the outlying areas have had, th those are things that we did, right, um, as well. So there's, there's, I think people should know that I am someone that is acutely interested in being inclusive and in talking and dialoguing with communities. I'm not here to tell people what is in their best interest. They have to be able to define for me what it is and to figure out how we can get city agencies to be responsive and to do, whether it's the transportation department, right, whether it's the environmental protection department, whether it's, it's parks when it comes to the erosion of the beaches, you know, those are things that definitely this public advocate can do. And so I believe that my track record definitely is proof of what I believe in philosophically and how representation should be in the city of New York. It's a city that belongs to every single one of us. It's not about select neighborhoods, select communities, uh, and special interests. So that's, I think my, my track record speaks for itself. Well, thank you for the segue. Uh, it's always good when someone knows how to speak uh, <laughs> on these issues. Uh, beach erosion. Obviously, the Parks Department, when you talk about, uh, it's not just about what you said, about representation. It's also about accessibility. It's also about making sure that uh, an agency like the Parks Department, uh, which has been very poor in its communication and its interaction with not just the people of Rockaway uh, or the businesses of Rockaway, but the elected officials in Rockaway. Because what happened last summer, where uh, four days before, you know, the Memorial Day weekend, they closed the, you know, some of the major beaches, the busiest beaches in Rockaway because of these lifeguard issues, because of the beach erosion. And there was no warning, not, not, not just to the businesses, but there was no warning to the elected officials either. We were all taken by surprise. And, and in the way that the Parks Department kind of handled it uh, for weeks before they kind of finally decided to deal with the situation was one of, well, this is what has to be done, you, you know, that's too bad, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it doesn't seem to me that that has improved uh, the communication between the Parks Department and, and the community. And we don't want to have another situation no, of, course not. Of, of where that happens again. So, you I, know, I we just, we just uh, and I'll, I'll forward it to you sure. when you get a moment, but we just had an article that was written in our paper by Joe Hardigan, who was a very active uh, local civic, you know, uh, activist for the ferry. He was activist for for, uh, you know, just the economics of the peninsula. And he talked about how the city, look, we're all going to have to wait for the Army Corps of Engineers to get its act together. But in the meantime, <coughs> there's been a strong feeling among people in the community that the city could do more, that the Parks Department can do more while we wait for, for, for the Army Corps. So sand replenishment, which some people say is a waste of time. Well, it might be a short-term waste of time, 
uh, excuse me, a long-term waste of time. But in the short term, it could keep some of these beaches open right. so that, you know, these small businesses and the local economy does not get destroyed for the second year in a row. Is that something as public advocate that you feel that you could advocate for these, for these folks here? I mean, look, I think one of the unfortunate hallmarks of this current administration is that it is not good. It has not been effective at engaging communities. There's a lot of decisions that feel they're being made in a vacuum without community consultation, uh, very short-sighted at times, and then if, if the communication is not there, the interaction is not there with the community, and then a decision is made at the last minute, and it has incredible impacts, right? So that's consistent, not just on what you're you know, outlining, but it's happened in other areas too, when you think about the specialized tests and how that was rolled out, or when you think of, you know, there's example after example of how this administration, through lack of serious community engagement uh, has made decisions which, you know, then just the communities are all riled up, right, and, and upset. And it takes work. You know, we're a large city. We're 8.5 million people. We are geographically extremely diverse and, and expansive. But to me, I've always believed very much in taking the time to engage in serious conversation when decisions have to be made. And I think community consultation has to be kind of like a standard operating procedure of communities when any decision has to be made. It's not only about, you know, being reactive and waiting for a situation to happen to then respond, but have ongoing engagement with communities so that you're always aware and on top of what the issues and concerns are. You can be proactive and figure out solutions before it becomes a crisis, right? So that idea of constant engagement with communities, I think it's something that I wish our city agencies would do more consistently. Some do it better, some just don't do it at all, and it's very touch and go. But I know that for me, in terms of the way I was a city council member for my constituents and the way I was with speaking with my colleagues, was always constant engagement and consultation. It takes more time, you know, it's, it's a longer process, but at the end of the day, it has incredible results because people feel bought in, right? They're buying into a process. Right. They're being heard. People feel validated. And then, you know, sometimes the bad news is not as bad because people have been brought along the way. And I think that that's the issue with, like, what you're outlining is that the la lack of engagement that led to a situation which unfortunately had this impact on businesses and on the community. Right. And what, yeah, and it really was, it is, is problematic. Anyone can see that the beach was eroded. Anyone can see that. You know, it, it, people who live here, especially, you know, look, anyone in a coastal community, you know, the majority of the people in the coastal community know more about their community yes. than, you know, someone sitting in in an office uh, in Gracie Mansion or you know in, in you know in downtown. Uh, and, and there's always that when I hire people, uh, you know, to work at the paper because we take our jobs very seriously here. I tell them it's a boots on the ground job. It's not sitting in the office waiting exactly. for something to happen where I'm going to go and get cover it. It's it's. Going to meetings and yeah, and businesses, talking to people. Yeah. Right, and and that's how you find out what's going on in the community is by being here, not just coming for uh, you know a dog and pony show exactly. where you're taking a bow for something that's not really finished, or as something that I think at the end of the day, what people want to know is that they can call the public advocate's office and not be told, yeah. well, call my call three one one. I think that's what. You know, yeah. you know, to have a staff that's responsive. Yeah. I, I know you know uh, Assemblyman Bill Goldfeder, former of senator. Course, yeah. okay? Now, he's a popular person in, in Rockaway for a lot of different reasons. 
But I think, I really think, as a journalist, as someone who, in a lot of ways, is just like a member of the community in the sense that when I call the office, I want an answer. Or I want to know where to be directed to get the answer. Exactly, yeah. And I think that, you know, when you have a staff, and that's because his staff was so excellent, whether it was, you know, uh, you, you know, whether it was uh, Eugene Schwartzman or, or um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, the names escape me because I'm old and I can't remember. <laughs> but he had such a great uh, staff, uh, and, and people were very responsive, uh, you know, to you know, John Greenfield. And uh, uh, <laughs> terrible, but they gave you something to do. They gave you places to ask. They they referred you to where you needed to go to get the answers to your problem or your solution. Right. They didn't always solve it, but they tried to. Right. And I think that we need more of that, and, and especially in Rockaway. We need more solutions to problems. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that having someone that has done this before, uh, albeit as the city council speaker, knowing that someone is actually going to advocate for them, and I know that's in the name of the job, uh, is very important. It's very empowering too, I think. Right. And I mean the experience of being speaker, of, of visiting the districts of the colleagues, right. of being a five borough speaker, right, of being a five borough candidate in the case of a public advocate, you know, getting out to every corner of the city and trying to really understand the issues and challenges. Now, like, you know, in terms of the scope of the public advocate's office, right, it's obviously a much smaller budget, much smaller staff, but definitely has a responsibility that if constituents are calling with a complaint, a city agency is not doing what it needs to do, right, or something is missing. Figuring out, like, how to address that immediately, but then also systematically, right, looking at some of the challenges and issues, being able to do investigations and research into how city agencies are providing services. I was meeting with some restaurant owners yesterday, right, who feel that maybe there's disproportionate fines in the way certain communities are being approached by the Department of Health. Well, that's something you could investigate through the information you have access to. Yes, are certain communities being overfined as compared to others, right? That kind of stuff, and like how do you start dealing with some of these systemic uh, challenges that may exist within agencies. So looking at that from a more global kind of systematic and systemic issue uh, as, a, as a public advocate is something that I'm definitely interested in. I want to have an Office of Community Engagement where I definitely want to hire, I want to hire community organizers that are going to be interacting with communities, being very proactive, um, having roundtable conversations. I want, there's going to be always those issues that I care for deeply, right? I, I care uh, right now about the crumbling MTA and the transportation infrastructure. I'm very concerned about our, our public housing stock and that we have a crisis there where we might possibly have federal receivership, um, which is a very bad idea. But, so, but there, I also want, through consultation with communities and these roundtables and going out there for the communities to define how they feel this office can best serve them. I want it to be a dialogue. I don't want it to be a top-down kind of approach because that's just not who I am. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very much about getting out there and, 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 and hearing uh, the concerns because every community is unique. Uh, and and we're, we're a, a city that, you know, I value. The beauty of the city is, is the diversity, right? And all that it can offer and, and how we can all live together harmoniously, right? That's what we strive for. But, um, but understanding that then there's nuances to every, right. every yeah. area that you visit uh, and making sure that that's there. Especially listening. Rockaway. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's very nuanced. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, no, so that's, I, the, uh, that's the vision. Right. I mean, so the, just to, so opposite community engagement, an office of research and investigation, an office of legal aid um, is, is the way I'm envisioning the office. It, because of our limited budget, 
obviously I want to figure out how do we augment the reach of the Public Advocate's Office, and a lot of that will be through collaboration and reaching out beyond the office with pro bono legal services, working with law firms, right? Um, and then the issue of, for instance, working with academic institutions or think tanks that could help develop policy papers or take a look at certain issues. There's ways that you can bring in some additional resources or, or partnerships that will augment the Office of the Public Advocate. I think that's really important that we do that. We're also going through a charter revision conversation at the City Council. So we went through the one with the mayor, and now we're doing the one with the City Council. There's an opportunity, opportunity to advocate <laughs> that the Public Advocate's Office should have more responsibilities right. uh, or should have a larger budget. And I think that that's definitely something that a lot of us believe and that in this time where we need greater accountability and transparency, we should not be talking about eliminating an office that has a, a responsibility, accountability, and transparency, but we should be figuring out how do we actually strengthen it and even expand its powers, right? right? So that's kind of some of well, the... Well, I, I wrote an editorial recently about how I, I actually do think that, that the role is a waste of taxpayer money. But if you're telling me that your goal is to strengthen the office, then that's a different conversation. Right. Um, because if we're going to have someone who's not going to be a rubber stamp to the mayor and who's someone who's going to advocate, again, uh, for those people who feel uh, that they their voices have been silenced or that their voices are not heard, uh, then that's something that we can certainly have a conversation about. Right. Uh, where if we're going to strengthen the office, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. Because but then, then, then all of a sudden, now it has a purpose. Exactly. I mean, now well, that now those tax dollars have a purpose. I think the way it might have been originally envisioned, right, is that you got the controller who has the fiscal oversight, right, and then you have the public advocate who should have, right, the administrative oversight over agencies, et cetera, right. Why should the DOI be under the public advocate? Why shouldn't the CCRB be under the public advocate, right? Uh, have subpoena power. I mean, that's that's information that. Uh, that's part of the conversation as we look at the charter revision. Um, not sure how far that will go, but I think that those are recommendations well, I that I think would be valuable to improving and strengthening. The when you position. put it that way, when you put it that way, uh, it certainly makes a lot more sense. Uh, I happen to agree. I think that Scott Stringer does a lovely job. Uh, you know, I think he's someone that at least, whether we agree with him or we disagree with him, whenever we do reach out to his office. There's always a response, there's always a dialogue, and there's always that, how can we help you? Right. And if we can bring that kind of power to the public advocate's job, if the right person gets, gets the gig, then we're, we're talking right. a little bit differently about right. how some people view Right. Whether or not the office is worth it. No, and I think I think the and the, but the office still I believe strongly has a role right now. And I think that in this time where we've been seeing such a dramatic change in the political landscape of what voters have asked for in this last election cycle, you know, people want more transparency and more accountability. Right. And so that's definitely important, and the role of the public advocate is important that way. And and the way I'm envisioning of trying to be creative and augmenting the the reach of the office and what we do and the things we look at, uh, you know, is, is really uh, important. And I think that my experience and, and how I've approached and my leadership style has demonstrated that I really want to be a voice for the people and make sure that people, all people in the city of New York feel that they belong here and that they have a place here uh, and that city government is going to be responsive to them regardless. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 
here's where I see your biggest problem in Rockaway. Uh, and I'll be completely honest, uh, because I, I was very much in support of your fight to add police when it wasn't a popular stance. Um, I supported it, the paper supported it, we wrote editorials supporting uh, the fact that you were willing to go against the mayor as the city council speaker to add more police to the roles. And I think that uh, given the amount of first responders that live on the peninsula, uh, a lot of those folks appreciated your efforts in that area. But when you um, supported the idea of Oscar Lopez Rivera and his, you know, his status at the Puerto Rican Day Parade and uh, his release, I will say that there were a lot of people in Rockaway uh, that did not support you know, your efforts there. And you came under a lot of criticism. I wrote an editorial criticizing your support of, of Oscar Lopez Rivera. So, I, I th and I think that will be an, an obstacle for some folks in Rockaway to vote for you. So I wanted you to, to give you the opportunity to kind of help us understand why you supported him and and why people should under and why people should understand your support. Uh, look, yes, I think to me it's very basic, and I think that. Factually, if you want to talk, speak factually, uh, he was not accused of any action, per se, right? He was primarily imprisoned for his political beliefs. And, you know, the I've done a lot of work in the speakership and also as a council member very much supporting criminal justice reform. Uh, I believe in rehabilitation and having being able to have inter people integrate back into our communities uh, the punishment didn't fit the crime for Oscar, and I am a firm believer in that, right? He's 35 years imprisoned, uh, 11 years in solitary confinement. Uh, he is back home in Puerto Rico, integrating. He's a man of peace. Uh, he's been helping in the rebuilding after the hurricane, working with organizations that are rebuilding communities, and has a vision of community empowerment and community development that I support. So, you know, again, looking factually at the facts of the case, uh, definitely he had done more than his fair share of time. And uh, to me, it was a given that, that he should be able to be sentenced to be commuted and he able to return to his family. Uh, he is about, I think he's 74 years old at this point. And as I indicated, you know, he's, he's back, was welcomed with open arms in Puerto Rico, and he, he is helping rebuild. And so, I'm, you know, I understand that for some people, it's, they were basing their, it's an emotional issue, right. a, a very emotional issue. And I'm not going to discount, you know, I'm not going to hear to minimize or judge people's emotions. I would hope that people can try to be respectful of who I am, but if you want, you know, my, uh, and my positions, and the, the the issue of Oscar also brings into play the complexity of the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States. And I think that that is an issue that a lot of people don't understand fully. And the history is complex and 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 deep. And so that's it's, it's too much to try to explain no. in a 10-minute interview, but uh, or you know, or two-minute no. intervention on this issue, but. Uh, I understand that for some people, 
it is going to be a deciding factor. I don't think it will be the deciding factor for the majority. And again, in looking consistently at who I am and what I believe in, I have my set of beliefs. Uh, I am a person who is a firm believer in inclusivity, in justice, and equity, um, and that punishment should fit the crime. And so, it's that's that's my so my position continues to be the same. I supported him. I was very clear when I came into the speakership. Uh, I let my staff know. I know this has been an incredibly difficult issue in the past. I'm not wavering from my position, and in, and so we have to be ready to be able to respond right. when the criticism comes. Because well, it was going to be criticism. Like I said, you know, when uh, <coughs> I believe in giving people the opportunity always to explain their positions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I understand it's com complex. Um, maybe in the past, people who ran this newspaper wouldn't even bring you in for an interview because they felt that that issue was too much to overcome. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't think the paper believes that. Uh, I can't speak for everyone, but I can certainly speak for myself as a journalist that you have been, uh, when you were speaker, uh, equitable and. I like to think that I'm equitable when I deal with people, uh, and and I wanted to give you the opportunity because I know what the response was when when I first said that I was going to have you on the show. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, because that's the one issue that they bring up constantly. And I'm not saying, as you said, I'm not saying that that issue um, isn't something I feel strongly about because I do. But that is not the totality of what your record is. No, it's not it the isn't. Totality of your resume. <laughs> so um, I think that. If you continue to campaign on the peninsula, it may come up. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know uh, how you explained yourself here uh, at least gives people an opportunity to kind of access it. You know, access where you're coming from. And a dialogue is always more important than the shouting and the yelling and the and the and the, the Facebook social media venom that always seems to accomplish um, uh, not to accomplish you know any kind of you know, any kind of solution to any anything. You know that that's just noise. So I always believe that it's better to sit down and to talk about these these kinds of issues because at the end of the day, that's what you say you want to do. You know, that's that's how you want to solve problems. Is that you want to talk to people and and understand where they're coming from. Right. Well, that's where some of the folks that are first responders around here, that's how they feel. Right. So, you know, I I think that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, your candidacy is something that people, uh, at least I think from our conversation today, have a much better sense of where you're coming from. Yes, and I mean, uh, you know, I, my both my parents, uh, Puerto Ricans, born and raised in New York, returned to the island. I was born on the island, uh, but New York City has offered me and offered my family so much. And I came here at the age of 18. Uh, going to school, thought I was going to return, but I decided to stay because I felt right. There was so much history of my family in this in this city, contributing to this city, and that the city had given so much. You know that I am humbled, right, to have been elected and humbled to have been elected unanimously by my colleagues to be the speaker, and now you know, and having garnered that trust. And I take the position of an elected official extremely seriously. Uh, there are no scandals in my 
time as council member, as speaker, I'm someone that is very forthright, very open, uh, other than positions that I've taken that people may disagree with me on. Uh, I'm a very straightforward and very open and transparent person. And um, I'm very by the book <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, but, but I believe that government needs to be for everyone. And I'm going to strive each and every day to make our, our city more equitable and more, and more just. And, and a place where everybody feels welcome. And that for me, as a Latina, as a Puerto Rican, as someone who speaks uh, two languages and, and uh, lives in two cultures, that's important. And the way I communicate through my campaign, it was important for that to come across. So we do have 10 languages. There are certain messages that we put out in 10 languages. Uh, my campaign video, at the end of the video, had the term public advocate in 10 different languages. Some of my posters are in 10 languages. And some of my campaign literature will be multilingual. It is about basically that message of inclusion is going to come across in every way that I communicate through this campaign, and we're already starting to do that. And people are responding very positively to that. I want you to do me a favor. Yes, sir. Okay. If you win. When I win. Okay. <laughs> you have to promise. Yes. Come back to Rockaway. I will. Take a tour of Beach 116th Street. Okay. And some of the other areas uptown that the city has really not visited. Yes. And to talk about, you know, some of the issues that are facing this this community. That, you know, there it, it isn't just the city. Sometimes only only goes downtown. You know, that's the perception from uptown. That 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 when the city comes to visit and the city comes to take a bow or the city comes to do whatever it's going to do, they go downtown. They don't come uptown. And I think that if you really want to hit home that issue of everyone having a voice, mm -hmm. uh, you want to talk about a, a, a community that feels disenfranchised, it's definitely uptown. And it doesn't matter that they have more money. It doesn't matter that they, uh, you know, they live in a different part of town. They are just as frustrated with the lack of resiliency, with the lack of parking, with the lack of uh, being able to get to their jobs. You know, whether they're using, you know, the ferry's great. The ferry was a great addition, but it's, it's, there's so many levels. Of do you put yeah, and I you, you know, support congestive? Uh, and I understand that in certain parts of the city, it is. I do, and I have always been a supportive congestion pricing. Okay. Now, when I originally came out, when I was a council member in 2008, um, and I supported, I was one of the strongest voices in support of it. You know, at that time, if we would have passed congestion pricing in the city of New York, we would have also received not only the revenue from congestion pricing, which was committed. Right. towards transportation improvements in the outer areas and in the areas of the transportation deserts. But also we would have received almost $500 million from the federal government, from the Department of Transportation. And that was an, a lost opportunity. Well, we need more money in revenue in the MTA, serious infusion of money. We walked away at that time from half a billion dollars, which could have gone a long way towards areas like the Far Rockaways, et cetera, to provide more robust, bus services, SBS, express buses, whatever it is, which had been the original commitment. So we are at this place now where, again, I was on the transportation working group, I was the mayor's appointment, and we came out with the report a couple of weeks ago. But yes, it's the conversation of congestion pricing is coming back. Uh, I do support it. I do support that money be invested deeply in communities like this one so that we can expand transportation options. Uh, and so I'll continue to support that. I, I um, 
I believe that that's something that's way overdue. So you're gonna come? Of course. Right. I mean, you've been here. I've been here before. I know. I'm I not know. a stranger. Just, I just I'm gonna ask every person yeah. that, that comes on the show that's running for public advocate. I'm gonna ask them the same question. Yes. And I'm gonna hold you to it. Well, I am. Okay. And I'm ri and I'm gonna ride the subway out here. Okay. Absolutely. Or maybe the ferry. I know there's a ferry that comes around here. Uh, uh, which uh, 108th Street right. uh, is the ferry, and then you have the A train. Which, uh, right. Which Mayor de Blasio keeps telling us it's all fixed. No, well, we know and that's not true. I ride the subways <laughs> every day now because of the, such the compressed timeline of this campaign no, right now. Since so February 26th, sure. uh, there are times when I literally have to hit like four or five boroughs in a day. Right. And once in a while, I do have to use a uh, car, <laughs> but uh, most of the time I am on the bus or on the train, and that, that is my primary source of transportation right now. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.